This is episode 13, a solo episode with me where we discuss my addiction to prescription medication. G'day everyone and welcome to The Blokecast. I am your host, Brendan Hardman, and each week we bring you an inspirational guest or message to help you blokes out there live a holistically healthy lifestyle. Thank you for tuning in wherever you are around the world and let's get stuck in. This episode's quote comes from Albert Einstein. Learn from yesterday, live for today, hope for tomorrow. G'day legends and welcome to episode 13 of The Blokecast. This episode is a solo episode where we are going to discuss something that is incredibly personal with me. And it's something that I don't often share. And that is how I had an addiction to prescription drugs. If I'm honest, this is actually the hardest episode I have recorded yet. It's raw, it's emotional, and it's mostly unedited, to be honest. Uh, I did this because I wanted everyone to see that my authenticity is really there on this subject. It's not as smooth as normal. I stutter a lot, and at times, to be honest, I find it hard to actually talk. But I really do make no apologies for that. Before we get stuck into the episode, we are going to announce our Legends of the Week. Do you want to be a Legend of the Week? It's really simple. All you need to do is go to iTunes and give us a rating and give us a review, and you could be featured on the Blowcast. You could be our next Legend of the Week. The first of this week's legends is HST333, who has the title of Refreshing, Honest, and Raw with a five-star review. The Blokecast is an awesome podcast hosted by an amazing bloke. Thank you. (laughs) No doubt it will help the lives of other men. It's easy to listen to, and the guests that Brendan interviews are very inspirational. For all the men out there who may be struggling... There is no shame in seeking help. Thank you so much for your review, HST333. I decided to add a second Legend of the Week in here because this is a review that comes from one of our other episodes that we had. So a couple episodes ago, we had Walt Collins on, who is an absolute legend of a bloke. And this one comes from Vegas Fitz. Love that name. Great podcast, mate. Walt is a fantastic guest and speaker. Worked with him before, and he is now one of our ambassadors for our charity. None better. Keep the great podcast coming. Really important for blokes. Thank you, Vegas Fitz, for your five-star review. And thank you to all of our legends that have left us ratings and reviews on iTunes. If you want to be featured in a upcoming podcast, Jump on iTunes, give us a rating, give us a review. Now, there is one thing I do apologize for this episode, and that is that at the time of recording, there was a storm going on outside. So there may be a little bit of feedback as you go through. You may be able to hear a bit of wind in the background, and I'm sorry for that. I did my best to kind of cut those bits out. However, it's still kind of there uh, at the time. So... Let's get stuck into this episode. I want you all to sit back, relax, and let me take you on my journey and battle with prescription drugs. Okay, let's get stuck in.
and today we are going to talk about pain and anxiety medication. Now, why are we discussing this medication in particular? Because it's simple to me in the sense that this medication is the most addictive type of drug that you can be prescribed. We're not going to discuss antidepressants today. In the coming weeks, I'm going to ha- actually going to have a psychiatrist on the actual broadcast, Dr. John Lane, and we're going to discuss everything to do with uh, antidepressants, um, depression, anxiety, those types of illnesses and treatments in depth on that episode. So the first thing I really want to touch on here is I am not a doctor. And the purpose of this episode isn't to bag out or dissuade you from taking medication. This is only really my story and the lessons that I've learned and that I've taken away from that. And I'm hoping I can impart a little bit of that onto you guys today. If you've actually been prescribed the medications that we're going to discuss today, then please continue to take them. Do not stop them based on this podcast. You need to consult your doctor. If you do want to stop taking them, you need to consult your doctor before you change anything within your medication plan. And another point that it is completely fine to take these drugs. Sometimes you need them. Sometimes you need to take pain medication. Sometimes you need to take medication for anxiety. You know, it is perfectly fine to take these drugs. So please do not feel bad that you actually are on this medication. I spent over three years, probably longer than that, probably closer to four, five years on this type, on these types of medication in particular pain and anxiety medications. So in that time, I've kind of developed a great understanding of my own body and how I react to drugs in, and in particular those types of drugs. But also got, I've also educated myself to have a great understanding of these types of drugs, the effects they have on your body and the effects that they have on your mindset. And so that's what this episode is today. It's my opportunity to be able to pass that on to you guys with the potential that it may actually resonate with someone out there. At the end of the episode, we're going to run through some signs and symptoms of addiction. Have a look. Have a listen. See if any of those actually apply to you. And if they do, maybe reach out to a doctor. Maybe reach out to a medical professional, to one of the helplines that we'll list later in Lifeline or Beyond Blue, and seek some help. That's what this podcast is about. It's about raising awareness that taking these medications is perfectly fine, but you need to understand the effect that they're having on your body. Okay, so pain medication. What are we talking about when we're actually discussing pain medication in particular? We're not talking about Panadol here. We're not talking about Neurofirm. We're not talking about Panadol Plus or anything on those lines, okay? We are talking about drugs that you need a prescription for, drugs that you actually need to see a doctor to be able to gain access to. And in particular, for pain medication, Today, we're talking about opioid medication. So what are some opioid medications that are common out there that people may be taking at the moment? Uh, Codeine is a very, very common, probably the most common drug out there on the market that people take that is an opioid. It's on the lower end of, uh, of, of scale of opioid drugs. However, it is a very addictive drug. Another one is fentanyl. Fentanyl is the strongest pain medication that you can actually access. It generally comes in a tablet form or a patch form. Most people would use it in a patch form um, rather than a tablet form, Uh, but it is very strong, very addictive, however, very effective in its methods that it uses. Another one which I'm very, very familiar with is buprenorphine, which is 
a synthetic opioid essentially it's comes in a patch version so it's very similar to fentanyl however not as addictive not as uh not as strong uh and what they essentially use buprenorphine for is they uh sounds sounds horrible when i say this but uh for people who are on heroin who are coming off of heroin um addiction and no just for the record i've never taken heroin in my life uh they would generally be given uh, buprenorphine as a method to help them come off and withdraw from from uh, from heroin heroin addiction. Uh, one of the most common ones out there, which is um, it is common in Australia, however, very very common in the US, and that's oxy or oxycodone or oxycotton is a is a brand name for it. Uh, but oxycodone is the actual is the actual drug, uh, and we in Australia we refer it to it mostly as just oxy, um, and that is a a uh, drug that generally comes in a tablet form, and it's um it's very, very addictive drug. Uh, it has a very strong effect to it, which uh, generally makes you very lethargic and very um, I guess spaced out is a good term to use for it. Uh, and again, very effective drug, but has a lot of side effects. Um, another drug which I am very familiar with is called tramadol, which is a very uh, common drug, definitely used in Australia. Not sure about. Uh, overseas, I'm sure it's used everywhere, but definitely in Australia and definitely in, uh, I guess the um, the ADF they they tend to use um, tramadol quite a bit from from a lot of the people that I've met and seen over the years, uh, and from my own experience. Um, so tramadol comes in two different forms: it comes in a short release and a long release form. Um, I've taken both at the same time, and essentially a short release is there as a breakthrough drug. So. What, we, what I mean when I say a breakthrough drug is a drug that if you are experiencing an extreme amount of pain, then you would take a breakthrough drug to get breakthrough with the pain. Um, so that's what uh, drugs like Oxy, um, Codeine, Tramadol, those types of drugs are, are breakthrough drugs, essentially. Uh, then you have your long-life drugs or your long-lasting drugs or your background drugs, which I generally refer to them as is background drugs. So Tramadol long-release is a background drug, and so essentially, what's that? What that means is that it has a long life to it, and so you would take that drug, uh, wanting it to have an effect over a long period of time to reduce the amount of, say, chronic pain that you're experiencing. Uh, another drug which I have taken is buprenorphine, which we were discussing before in the in the patch form. This is a uh, you know a background drug to me. Fentanyl as well is a is can be used as both uh, in high dosage as a as a breakthrough drug. Which if you're in hospital, for example, sometimes they'll give you a button to push. That's generally fentanyl, um, and that button is to, is an immediate breakthrough pain. However, in a lower dosage form, you can use it in a a patch form or a tablet form that can be a background drug for you. Okay, so when we talk about pain medication, that's the drugs we're talking about today talking about those opioid style pains that are highly addictive yet highly effective in the methods that they um, for the purpose that you need them for okay so anxiety drugs these are what I like to call azepam drugs <laughs> so most of your anxiety drugs uh, end with an azepam that's why I call them azepam drugs but um, they generally come from the benzodiazepine uh, family and we refer to those commonly in Australia as benzos um, I'm sure that's uh, the name they're colloquially used around the world, but yeah, benzos. So, and I call them, yeah, like I said, azepam drugs because everything 
in them and generally ends with an azepam. Uh, so for example, you have diazepam, uh, lorazepam, uh, temazepam, and then something I'm very familiar with is oxazepam. So all of them are there for different purposes. All of them have different strengths, different reasons that they're around, but essentially they're anxiety drugs that are designed to be able to relax you and to be able to reduce the amount of stress that you're putting on your body and putting on your brain and uh, give you a calming effect. Um, when you do take these drugs, you generally feel a bit spaced out. You generally feel a bit tired. Uh, I used to get really happy so and, and really, really lovey. So I would be sitting on the couch uh, taking these pills and then I would, um, or taking oxazepam, which was, was the drug that I was prescribed. And I'd sit there and I'd look over to my missus and, and she'd look over and she'd see this big gooey smile on my face and she'd say, okay, you've just taken uh, anxiety drug, haven't you? I'd say, yes, I have. And, and then I would start telling you how much I love her and all those kinds of things. Uh, so that, those were the side effects for me when I took oxazepam. Um, so these are, in all, these are the types of drugs that we're discussing today. Now, I haven't taken all of these drugs, but I've taken most. And um, maybe not all at the same time, a lot of them all at the same time, but maybe not all of them at the same time. However, I've taken uh, most of those pain opioid medications when it comes to the azepam drugs or the, the benzos, um, I've really only taken oxazepam. I did take a drug before oxazepam, which I think was a benzo. However, I don't remember the name of it and it was um, many, many years ago. So I wouldn't be able to tell you what that drug was for. And at that time, I was really struggling with sleep. So um, that's why I was taking that drug it was actually helping me get to sleep, uh, which is coincidentally part of the reason why I was actually taking oxazepam as well is because I wasn't sleeping at all. Uh, so you can use oxazepam in a twofold sense. You can take it when you're going to sleep or you can take it during the day if you're feeling like you need um, you need to relax, essentially. Okay, so we're going to get stuck into really my story around drugs. Now, we're not going to go through my whole background. If you want to hear a in-depth full story on my whole background, which um, is actually my most listened to episode, it is episode one. And it is my most, um, I guess, reviewed episode that I have. Um, it's, a, it's, it's, it's actually a really good episode. Um, it's sometimes a bit hard for me to listen to because you, you have to listen to all of the shit things that have happened in your life um, on repeat. Uh, but however, it is a really good informative episode and it gives you a great understanding of, of who I am and what my background is uh, and, and my story and my journey. So if you haven't already done that yet, after this episode or potentially stop now, go back to episode one, have a listen to that, then rejoin us here at this point. Uh, or at the end of this episode, just go back to episode one and uh, and listen to that and you'll get a good understanding of who I am and who my background is and and why I'm here doing this this project being or this passion of mine being the broadcast. And for all you people that have already listened to my that episode or have tuned into every episode that we've given so far, you're a bunch of legends and I love you all. So thank you. Thank you so much for your support. Okay, so pain medication. How was I introduced to pain medication? Well, over the years, I've had um, many, many, many surgeries throughout my life. Uh, before I would turned 20 years old, I think I'd been to the surgery. I'd, I'd been to the hospitals uh, over 30 times. I've uh, been admitted for different surgeries or different procedures or, or for things that have happened to me, um, mostly for me fooling around or being a, being an idiot. But in other, ter- uh, in other ways, it was 
um, genetic things that were wrong with me or things that I had go wrong with my body. I tend, tend to be a what's known as a glass man in the army where everything I do, I tend to break. Um, so yeah, so I had a good understanding of pain medication as I was growing up because I had had to take a bit of it in the past. Mostly codeine when I was, uh, when I was younger. Uh, if I'd broken arms, uh, broken leg, uh, broken ribs, those types of things. However, as I got older, um, codeine really started stopped working for me and it used to I would have more benefit by taking Panadol than I would by taking codeine and all codeine really used to do to me was really block me up which is a, a symptom I will talk about in a minute I guess about um, uh, about the physical I guess symptoms that you can get or the physical side effects you can get when you take these drugs uh, I'm going to take a quick pause quickly and just input here if you do hear me breathing a bit or you hear me um a bit more tense than i i normally am when i'm uh, i guess when i'm giving a an interview i'm i've kind of learnt over the years to be able to do interviews really well uh talking about myself is is can be a bit tricky for me and especially this topic being being drug addiction it is um it's really close to me and it's really personal for me so you know this is this isn't an easy episode for me to record so yeah so if you do hear me i guess kind of stuttering or uh stammering or you know maybe my voice might be a bit speaking a bit higher than or a bit quicker than normal then uh, that that's that's why uh it's not exactly the most easiest topic for me to talk about because it's something that i struggled with for uh and i struggled with in silence for you know over three years so um yeah, but let's get stuck back in. So how did I come about to most of these pain medications though? Because like, as I said, I've taken most of those uh, pain medications at the same time over over a period. And that's really because of my spinal surgeries. So I had, I've had two pretty, um, or one uh, quite, I guess, minor uh, spinal surgery, but I also had one major spinal surgery in my back. And I had, as I said before, I have a plethora of other surgeries as well. Um, I think I've had five knee surgeries, uh, you know, and I think I've still got a couple. I think I need a shoulder surgery at the moment, but that's a, that's all right. We'll deal with that one, and when it comes to comes to at the end of the basketball season, at the end of the year. But um, but yeah, for the moment, we'll just keep cracking on. Uh, but for me, yeah, it's really the spinal surgeries that kind of put me on this path, uh, and that was roughly three to four years ago that I kind of started this. Um, this journey uh, where it was the the back injuries I guess because I, I started taking these medications before I actually had those surgeries uh, however um, it was those injuries those spinal injuries that caused me to begin to take these uh, this this medication and then with my anxiety medication uh, that was really when my depression and my anxiety really became apparent and and I needed to look at ways that I could, whilst I didn't have the tools around me to be able to support myself, I needed a method to be able to reduce or have that calming effect. And we'll talk about those tools a bit later, but yeah, so we used oxazepam at the time um, to, to be able to help me get through those moments, get through those anxiety attacks, get through those anxious moments, uh, get through the periods where I wasn't sleeping at all. Yeah, so those are the drugs that I was kind of taking and that's really how I got uh, involved in this. So for me with pain medication, it started with tramadol and it started with tramadol quick release. So this was the first kind of drug I started on that on that journey after I got started to get those spinal injuries. And so as I said before, that quick release drug is a 
is a really is a fast acting drug that's designed to break through if you're experiencing quite a bit of pain and at the time <laughs> I could barely walk I could barely I couldn't sit I couldn't stand I couldn't do anything I couldn't lay down I was in that much pain that it was just it was just unbearable and so tramadol was really the first drug on top of obviously your panadols and your panadol osteos and your neurofins and all those types of things that you're already taking tramadol was the first drug that we that we jumped on then we increased uh from there because I, I started to um i guess the panadol and the panadol osteos um so whether or not it actually does it I, i'm not actually sure but panadol osteo is is a version of panadol that is is a slower releasing drug and so it's meant to be there as a background drug uh it's really good for osteoarthritis apparently um i to be honest I don't, not a doctor, I don't know whether it actually has any effects other than what Panadol does. However, I've used it for years. I don't use it anymore. However, I did use it for years and I felt like it had a good effect on me. So, um, but at this period of time, I was in that much pain that it was probably beyond, uh, it was, yeah, it was definitely beyond being able to deal with that. So we jumped onto uh, Tramadol long release. So instead of your Panadol osteos, which I was, still taking but instead of just relying on those to doing the background work we started using tramadol long release to do the background work and then i would take tramadol quick release as my breakthrough drug if i for example tripped over or if we, or had a spasm in my spine which i was getting you know every hour of the day kind of thing um i would uh, i would take uh, tramadol quick release in those periods then unfortunately because i had a back injury you tend to get a lot of leg and a lot of nerve injuries. So depending on where your back is, so depending on where the injury in your back is, will will mean that you you may get. Uh, for me, it was in my lower back, so I got a lot of leg injuries. If you had a higher spinal injury, you would you potentially could have um, soreness and those types of things, or neck soreness, depending on where that actual injury was. For me, it was lower spine, so I had a lot of issues with nerves running down my legs and a lot of pain shooting down those nerves, um, called sciatic pain. Uh, for me, though, I couldn't really, I couldn't feel my left foot anymore. Um, that's how bad, I guess, it was. It, my my left foot had gone numb from about the third or second or third toe outwards, uh, and then straight down my foot. Um, and I had nerve pain running the entire length of my left leg down into my ankle, and then my right leg was just past my knee, so just at the top of my shin. And that pain was just constant. It was just permanent. It was always there. And so a drug that they use uh, is called pregabalin, which I didn't speak about. Um, I don't think I spoke about it in the, in the opioids part. It's not an opioid. Uh, however, it's kind of is a pain. It's, it's half pain, half anxiety drug because it can be used for both. Um, so pregabalin is, is the drug name. It's, its brand name is commonly known as Lyrica. Uh, this, for me, was a shit drug. It was really bad. Uh, it gave me a lot of really, really bad side effects. Uh, however, I do know in the past that it has worked for other people in reducing the nerve pain within the legs. Uh, however, for me, it didn't reduce anything. I was on it for quite a long time uh, in the hopes that it would um, do something. However, all it did was give me horrible, horrible side effects. And I'll tell you a story um, as a part of, I guess, the psychological side effects that you go through when you take these drugs coming up. But um, let me just tell you that Inception is is real, <laughs> that that shit does exist. And it is, for me, it was in the form of Lyrica that it, that it came about. And then finally, uh, in terms of the opioid drugs, 
I started to take, uh, I started to use uh, buprenorphine. So buprenorphine is a synthetic morphine, essentially. And so what it is, is it's a patch that you put on your arm and then every hour it releases drugs into your body. Uh, and it's 24 hours a day, the patches last a week. And then you generally get a pa- you generally get four patches in a, um, every time you go see the you need to go and see the doctor once a month and you would get four patches uh, in that period and then that would last you the month and then you would come back once those those patches were out it's a it's a good drug it has it does have a lot of benefits to it however it does have a lot of side effects to it as well and uh, and it is constantly going through your body so you have a constant so it's not like your long-form drugs like tramadol slow release, which you know has around an eight to twelve-hour half-life or, or long life, I guess. Um, but so once that once you take that drug, it's in your system for it lasts. It's meant to last around you know the eight to twelve hours, and then after that, it's it's done. And then if you don't take another another pill, then you know that drug's not in your body or that drug's not having an effect on you until you take the pill the next time. So, you know, you could go a couple of days without taking that drug. You could go the next morning. You could, as soon as that 12-hour period is up, you could take another drug and and continue that that pain journey, I guess that that form of that, that medication journey. Uh, whereas buprenorphine or whereas the patch kind of opioids, that is 24-7. So this is where your tolerance really builds up really quick. And this is where your addiction comes in really quick because you have opioids going through your body 24 7 there's no break whatsoever it's just there all the time it's you feel you know you feel that spaced out version of yourself that cloudy minded version of yourself 24 7 and it's it's a horrible feeling to be honest it, it, it really is um it does have a lot of benefits in the terms of pain uh relief for it definitely did for the first um six to eight months uh but then your tolerance builds up so you need to take more. And that's what happens with all these drugs is that after you're on them for a while, your tolerance builds up. So all of a sudden you're taking more drugs and you're taking more drugs to, to counter those drugs, you know? And there was at one point uh, we had counted, I was taking over 30 pills a day plus wearing a morphine patch. So I was, and not all those drugs are opioid drugs. There was lots of other different drugs involved. There was, you know, there is is obviously your antidepressants, which I was on at the time. Um, you have all your opioids. Then you have um, your pregabalin, which technically isn't an opioid, but a pain drug nonetheless. You know, still using all your your regular, your Panadols, uh, your ibuprofens, those types of drugs as well. And it all just adds up. It all builds up, builds up, builds up. But the issue, the other issue that you have with these drugs is that they all have side effects. And so all these heavy, heavy drugs that you're on, each of them has a different side effect that goes on your body. And some of those side effects are just you can deal with. For example, um, some of the side effects I would have is that if I didn't eat at a period during the day, if I didn't eat at certain times during the day, I would feel like absolute shit. I would just go downhill really quick. I would be vomiting. I would be crook as a dog, not able to get out of bed if I didn't eat. So I had to eat at certain periods of the day. And that's like an every two-hour period. I had to have something going in my body if I didn't. And I learned that pretty quickly because I learned the hard way really quickly. Um, However, once I realized what it was, I was then able to kind of monitor that by ensuring that I 
had a diet that didn't force me to put on more weight than what the drugs were already forcing me to put on. However, I was able to sustain that and every two hours I would go through and eat. So that's an example of, I guess, a, a simple side effect that goes through, uh, that, that becomes apparent when you take these drugs. However, another example of those physical side effects that you can get when you actually take these pills is opioid medication. A lot of people think the opioid medication blocks you up, which it does. You know, your codeines, your tramadols, those types of drugs, they they block you up and, and they make you congested, they make you constipated. Essentially, they make it really hard for you to go to the toilet. Drugs like oxy, drugs like buprenorphine, fentanyl, morphine in the tablet form, they actually shut your bowels off. So your bowels don't work and you actually need to take a drug to turn your bowels back on. But that drug you take has a side effects as well. So for an example, I would take Coloxal and Senna as a drug that would switch my, so the Coloxal part is the active part that actually switches your bowels back on, gets your bowels working on a not a regular basis at all, but working. And then the center part is the softener part. So that actually makes you able to go to the toilet. Um, Otherwise, it just makes it, otherwise it's quite a painful journey that you go through if you're not taking those types of drugs. Uh, So, you know, Coloxal and center though, when you take this in a lot of, in a large dosage for a long period of times, I'm talking you know, 12 months plus, for me, three years plus, uh, on a regular basis, every single day, it starts to have a really bad effect on your bowels. And so it gets to the point where where you don't even know anymore when you actually need to go to the toilet. I have, you know, memories of, we were driving along, a great example, we were driving along one day, my wife is in, I was driving, wife's in the passenger seat, my mum's in the back, of the car she was over visiting us and we're driving along and i was perfectly fine perfectly comfortable and then two seconds later i just turned to my wife and i said i'm gonna shit myself and so i literally had to pull over uh on the side of the road luckily there was a a business i guess right there and i ran to the toilet and i was hobbled because i can't really definitely couldn't run at that period of my life and i still can't run too much these days so i kind of you know hobbled to the toilet trying to squeeze my cheeks together so i didn't shit myself and then I got to the toilet and lo and behold, the men's toilet and the stable toilet, full. <laughs> I legitimately had to run into the girls' toilets, lock the door, pray that no one came and whilst I shat my guts up. It was it was not a fun time at all. But that's an example of when you take these drugs that switch off your bowels, you need to take other drugs that switch on your bowels. However, those drugs have side effects. Everything has a side effect that you take. There's no drug out there that you can take that doesn't have a side effect. Ibuprofen can give you stomach ulcers. That's a side effect, you know? There's so many different things that you need to be aware of that it's not just taking these drugs to get a good feeling or to reduce your pain. Like, it's a lifestyle change. It really is. You need to manage everything you're doing in this lifestyle. I remember going back to Perth one time and because I'm from Perth, and like I said before, and my dad, uh, he came into the hotel room where me and my wife or then girlfriend I think or fiance whatever it was back then we're staying and he looked over and he saw I just had this plastic bag full of drugs 
And he's like, what the fuck is that? And I was like, this is the drugs I got to take. And he's, and I just remember him being blown away by just dumbfounded by the amount of drugs that I was actually on. I also remember every single week we would empty, I had a drawer in my, I guess, in my room next to my bed where all my drugs were. It was my drug drawer, essentially. I'm sure everyone who's on these types of medications has those drawers where you, where you keep everything in a safe spot that no one knows, kind of, no one can kind of get to unless it's uh, unless they unless they need to. And so, you know, all my drugs were kept in a, in a locked container within that drawer. However, in the drawer itself, all the empties went in there. So that's where all the packaging, all the empty foils and all that kind of stuff would, would go in there. I shit you not, by the end of the week, every single week, I would take a rubbish bag full of empty wrappers, empty foils, you know, empty packets, those types of things to the bin every single week. We would do a clean out of that drawer and, you know, my wife would just sit there shaking her head going, what is happening to you? What is going on here? And I couldn't see it at the time. I didn't realize that I was so addictive and I was so reliant on these drugs. And it wasn't until later on when I, I'll tell you this story later on, how it kind of came about for me that I actually realized that I had an issue and I had a problem. But right then, there was no one on this planet that could have told me that I had an issue with drugs. But I had a huge, huge, huge issue with drugs. And it wasn't that I was abusing them. It was never, ever that I was abusing drugs. Uh, I was never taking drugs when I shouldn't be taking drugs. I was never stealing drugs from other people. I was never doing, you know, taking drugs for the fun of it, uh, combining them with alcohol to get an extra kick. Nothing like that. I'm only taking drugs that I'm prescribed to take on the times that I'm meant to take them when I feel like I need to take them, which is a key, key thing that's going to come up soon. But I was addicted, 110% addicted. Some of the psychological side effects I guess you can have is that you can feel really clouded in the brain. You can feel really drowsy. I remember driving down uh, at a set of lights. Um, to be honest, I don't even know how I was allowed to drive. To be honest, that's legitimate there. I don't, I don't know if I wasn't meant to or not, but I certainly um, I certainly didn't have my license taken off of me, so I drive whenever I need to drive. And, and I remember pulling up at the set of lights and falling asleep at the set of lights. That's how dangerous this shit was. And that was the point in time where I said, all right, this is fucked. I need to, you know, I need to... Start either start getting someone else to drive me, or I'm going to work out what how I'm going to get to fucking work. Um, however, the the real bad psychological effect that had on me, apart from the increased depression, apart from the increased anxiety, apart from all those types of things, because they do come with taking these drugs, you know, taking opioids, taking anxiety medication, that actually cause you to have more of those types of episodes. Um, not necessarily like if you're taking an anxiety drug, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to have more anxiety, but you could have more depression. You know, taking taking antidepressants, which we can get about, which we'll get to, I guess, as I said with John Lane when he comes on the podcast. But taking antidepressants can antidepressants can cause you to have more anxiety. Taking opioids can cause you to can definitely cause you to have serious bouts of depression and serious bouts of anxiety. However, the the one that really scared me the most was the dreams. And I said before that Inception is real and it, and it fucking is. And 
Uh, it happened a lot when I took Lyrica. However, it still happened the whole entire time when I was on opioids, um, the whole time that I that I took them. However, when I was on that about, I think it was about a six to eight month period where I was taking Lyrica, that was horrible for me. And I would lay there. Uh, I remember laying there one day in bed and I was laying there asleep in bed and I was, I thought that I was awake. I wasn't awake. I was asleep. I thought that I was awake, and my wife was. I I knew where my wife was. She was she was standing in the in the ensuite, which is right next to the bed. Um, you can lay in the bed and look through the door and and speak to each other. And I was having a conversation with her. I was sitting there talking or laying there talking there, and I'm having a conversation back and forth. And then I had this sick feeling that something was wrong, uh, and I woke up because uh, I realized I was asleep. And I was oh wake up, and so I woke up. And then I was laying there again, uh, and I remember saying to, to to Monique, my wife, I was saying, "Oh, did we just talk about this?" And and she said, "No, no, no, you were asleep the whole time." I was like, "Oh, cool, cool." So we started talking about that conversation again, having that conversation for a good minute or two, and then I got that sick feeling again that I was asleep, and I was, and I actually woke up. So I had a dream within a dream within a dream kind of thing. And then I looked over to Monique and uh, she was she was in the bathroom and I said, oh, did we just have a conversation? She goes, you've, you've literally been asleep for 30 minutes. Like you haven't said a single thing to me for 30 minutes. You've been asleep. And that was what really started to scare me and what really started to really make me feel not at ease when I was taking this medication. That was one of the side effects which which really got to me was, was the dreams, was the horrible dreams I used to have and the, I guess, the that inception type feeling where you, you you're not sure if you're awake you're not sure if you're asleep and you can't even know you don't even know if you're dreaming like you there's there's points where i've had this in the past where you know when i'm not on medication where i've you know thought that i was dreaming but i was actually um I thought sorry thought that i was awake but i was actually dreaming but then you wake up and you're fine and you just you just go on with it. this was just continuous it was a dream within a dream within a dream kind of thing it was just horrible so when did i actually realize that i had an issue when was my wake-up moment? So my wake-up moment actually happened. Sorry, I'm just adjusting in my chair here. Um, all you that follow me on social media or follow me on uh, Instagram, uh, Facebook, you know, or even have heard me speak about on the podcast, I sit in this big chair in my, in my, in my cave that I call it, which is the, where I rec- do all my recording, and then I... I uh, yeah, I record from here. So I sit in this big chair. So if you hear me adjusting myself, that's that's just me moving around the chair, getting coffee. Um, okay, so when did I actually realize I had an issue? It was actually when I was in hospital. So actually, before I tell that story, there's actually two points that I realized that I had an issue. There was a point that I realized that I knew something was wrong and there was a point where I said, fuck this, I need to change my life. So the point where I realized that I knew something was wrong was when I was in hospital. So I had my second spinal surgery um, and I was on, that was the point in my life where I was, we, we'd done a little count. I was taking about 30 different drugs, uh, 30 different tablets, sorry, a day and wearing a high potency of buprenorphine patches. And I walked in, oh, I didn't walk in, I got wheeled into the, I guess, into the surgical room on the bed uh, and I remember speaking to the anesthesiologist and we sat down and we we're talking about my pain medication. We we're talking about how they were going to 
it exercised me for I probably didn't say that word correctly, but it's all right for um, the operation and and how we're going to get through that. And he sat there and he said to me, okay, this is what we're going to give you. This is all the levels, all that kind of stuff, which is pretty standard with a with an operation. And I turned to him and I said, look, these are the drugs that I'm on. And I gave him a sheet of paper and I said, I have a huge, huge tolerance to drugs. You're going to need to, you're going to need to give me drugs. Like you're going to need to give me more. And, it, and that, that wasn't a, a cry out for me saying, I want more drugs or anything like that. That was legitimately the problem. I actually needed more drugs because my tolerance was that high that the drugs that they had planned to give me weren't going to work. And he looked at my list and he's he kind of said, fuck, he goes, but that's okay. We kind of see this all the time. We'll just up your doses as we go and you'll be fine. I was like, no, no dramas at all. So we had the surgery. Everything went well in the surgery. I had a, had a good, um, really good surgeon who who done the operation on my back and, and he did a great job and I woke up from the surgery screaming in pain absolutely just in pain and I then spent the next uh, four and a half to five hours in recovery uh, which is where you go after you have the surgery you generally have the surgery in the in the surgical rooms and then you go to all the operating theaters then you go down to recovery or you go to recovery. I don't know if it's down, but you go to recovery uh, and you spend generally between um, three hours, two hours, sometimes, sometimes even quicker than that, depending on how big the surgery is. Before you would go to a ward, and then in the ward you would you would be treated like normal people, I guess, given to nurses and nurses have nurses come in and look after you, all that kind of stuff. Um, so I spent five and a half, uh, between five and a half and six hours in recovery, and the whole time. I had this poor nurse standing next to me with a fentanyl button that she would press and I would inject fentanyl into my body uh, every five minutes. And it would reset every five minutes. And so she sat there with a uh, with a clock in front of her or a watch in front of her. She had just had a phone, I think from memory. I can't really remember. I was pretty out of it at that point. Um, she had something in front of her though that I just remember looking at it. And every five minutes, she would just click, click, click click for hours and she just held my hand the whole entire time legend of a nurse i was crying i was a mess i was in that much pain i was passing in and out of consciousness because of the amount of pain that i was in uh they had maxed in they'd maxed me out on all the drugs that they could give me that they couldn't give me any morphine they couldn't give me any other drugs that they could give me at the time um uh so yeah so this is this was my only option to really get on top of pain and so meanwhile uh, my wife gets a call from the doctors or from the from the hospital, and uh, they said to her, "Look, Brennan's going just gotten out of surgery. Uh, they couldn't tell her how the surgery went because they didn't know because I was in in recovery. However, they told her he's going to intensive care. You need to come to the hospital immediately, and that's it. And so that was roughly uh, about an hour hour after I had got out of surgery. So my wife rushed to the hospital. And then sat there for four and a half hours and with no one telling her what was wrong because no one really knew what was going on, uh, just knowing that something was causing me to go to intensive care. So at that point, she thought that something had gone really wrong with the surgery um, and that I needed to, that I was dying, essentially. Uh, And no one could give her any information at the time, so she had to just sit there and wait until she could come and see me. Um, and what 
had actually happened though is that the surgery had gone really well. However, the drugs that they needed to put me on, they could only administer them in intensive care. So they sent me through to intensive care. So I rocked up into intensive care, got wheeled into the room on the bed, and then they I had every cable. <laughs> every cable you could think of was coming out of me. I, I had a, a catheter in me. I had everything was was going on. I had just cables, tubes coming out of coming out of everywhere. And my wife walked into the room and at this point I was I was fine. Like I was I was able to talk and those kinds of things and she she walked into which we'll get into in a minute, but she walked into the, the room and I remember looking over and saying, I can't feel my legs and her face just went it sounds horrible that I'm laughing about it now. Her face just went completely pale and she nearly cried and then I kinda of giggled and said, No, I'm fine. I just they just got me on a drug that I need to be in here. And I don't if I think I hadn't if I hadn't have just gone out of surgery, she would have punched me as hard as she could. Probably in the back as well, just so she knew that would have that would have hurt more. Um, but the reason I was there is because I had a ketamine infusion. And so what that means is it's like when you go, I'm sure if anyone's been to hospital, you would have a fluid drip. So, or if anyone's had to be, uh, had to have fluid put in them, um, you have the, the drip, the, the fluid bag sits next to you and you have the, the saline or the, uh, the water, whatever the solution is, that's going through there would go into your system and, and flush you out and rehydrate you again. So I had that except it was ketamine also had a fentanyl button that i could push every five minutes so it would reset every five minutes the same fentanyl button that i had in recovery and i could press that every five minutes i also was getting morphine jabs if that if all this wasn't enough which there was common times when it wasn't enough so i think i was in intensive care for i think three and a half days four days maybe and over that period i probably had about six um morphine jabs in that time plus on top of that i was still taking those 30 tablets a day because you can't just come off those medications and i still had morphine patches on my arm so i was on all this medication anyone would think that i would just be a zombie i would just be laid out in bed like just zonked out because the amount of the sheer amount of medication that was going through my body that would do that to anyone it would just knock them out for me no it didn't do that at all. I was perfectly coherent, perfectly talking. I wouldn't knock me out a single bit. I was going, waking up and going to sleep at a normal time and then being awake for most of the day, being in hospital and being you know, confined to a bed, then yes, you do kind of uh, sleep a bit more during the day, but nothing more than the normal. I wasn't a zombie, which I should have been on the amount of drugs that I was on. I remember having nurses coming in and saying to me, I can't believe like you are this coherent on all of these drugs. I couldn't walk at the time, but I could use a frame to, to walk and help me get around. I was go- getting up and going to the tort uh, on a regular basis. This is when I kind of knew that I had an issue. I remember sitting there with my wife just saying to her, this isn't normal. Like, this, normal people shouldn't be feeling this. Like I should be... I should be fucked up. Like I should, honestly, I should be out of my brain on drugs, but I'm not. I'm completely coherent. And I think that scared her more than everything we had been through. Like all the drugs, all the surgeries, all the, all the shit times was the, that day when she sat there and saw me that coherent on that amount of drugs. It just blew her mind and, and that scared her more than anything else. 
And that was, I guess, the point where we really started to say, you know what, we should probably try and uh, cut a few of these drugs away. And so pregabalin straight away, gaunt, that drug was shit for me. So that was that was easy to get rid of, that one. Um, and then slowly I started to cut back on everything else. I started to cut back on tramadol. Uh, I started to, I got rid of the tramadol long release. Uh, so I'd only take the tramadol breakthrough and my patches um, as the only real opioids that I guess that I was on. And I started to decrease the patches that I was on. So decrease the amount of buprenorphine that was going through my system, the dosage amount. But I was still taking those drugs and I was still addicted to those drugs. I would go, you know, if I went a few days without having those drugs, I would start getting antsy. I would start getting sick. I would start vomiting everywhere. I would just have that urge to to get those drugs back into me. Uh, And I was still taking oxazepam all the time. So whenever I needed it, I was I was taking it. And the issue that I had with those drugs, um, being tramadol and oxazepam, was that I would they're both considered to be breakthrough drugs in their own in their own form. So tramadol breakthrough for pain, oxazepam breakthrough for anxiety. So if I had a bad moment in pain, I would immediately take tramadol. Straight into my body. Um, definitely not overdosing or anything like that, like not taking over the dosage amounts. I was very careful, always very careful to to stay within my dosage amounts. But as soon as I had an issue with pain that was out of my normal pain, because you know we'll touch on this later, but there's, there's probably not too many moments in my life where I'm not in pain now. I'm, I'm in pain all the time. It's just That's just the way I live my life. And I kind of understand that now and I've, I've dealt with that now. However, at the time, I really hadn't and I started to really, you know, every time I, I was in a, I had a pain from training maybe from or doing recovery or, you know, just from uh, through bending over and picking something up and I'd feel pain in my back, I would take drugs. It was, my, it was burnt in my brain that as soon as I felt pain, I had to have drugs. My brain had convinced myself that, ah, you've got pain, I need opioids, you give me opioids, I feel happy. Here's some pain. Same thing with anxiety. You know, I there were certainly times when I had panic attacks that I needed that oxazepam drug. Really, really badly needed it. However, because I didn't have the tools to deal with that at the time. So I needed something to help me to deal with it. However, it then started to get that, you know, if I felt like I had a shit day, I would take oxazepam if i didn't sleep properly for the week because i needed to take it to help me get to sleep because i wasn't sleeping properly i would take oxazepam you know if i felt like i was um you know went out in public and i I had an an anxious moment i would quickly take oxazepam so the exact same thing happening again with oxazepam as it was with tramadol yeah it was burnt into my brain it was almost like a instinct a reaction that as soon as something happened I had to medicate myself. And that's what happens. That's how you build up tolerance. That's how you build up addiction. Is that when you have these moments that you need to continually medicate yourself. So the point which really turned me to say I need to fucking change my life was the night that I nearly committed suicide. That was the, or the actually not that night. It was a couple of days later. But that was the moment that really forced me to say, all right, this is enough. 
I need to start developing the tools to be able to deal with this so I don't have to spend my fucking life on these drugs. Because that's the only thing I could see at the moment was that I am going to be fucking stuck on these drugs. And I've even had doctors in the past say this to me, that once you're on them, it's so hard to get off of them. You know, once you're on them for an extended period of time, it's so hard to get off of these drugs. However, I drew a line in the sand. And I said, I'm not fucking spending my life on these drugs. I'm not doing this. I'm not vomiting every day of my life. I'm not feeling shit every day of my life. I'm not feeling clouded. You know, I need to work out a plan with my doctor, which all this was done through my doctor, through a pain specialist as well, uh, through my psychiatrist, um, everything. We, we worked together as a team, through my wife as well, because certainly don't disclude her in this. She, she was a huge part of it, and she was probably the driving force to, to really inspire me to get off those drugs. Um, because I remember saying, I remember her sitting there saying to me one day, like, I, you know, I love you so much and I will never leave you. Like you're, you're an incredible human being, but I miss the Brendan that you used to be and you're not the Brendan that you used to be right now. And I want that Brendan back. And you know, you're never going to get how you were a few years ago. You're never going to get that back. Like it's, it's, you can't go back to being the same person. You never, you never are because throughout your whole life you continually grow and you continually develop and you continually change your personality and although your your personality as a whole may not change there's little intricacies within your personality that do change so you're never going to be that same person but it was the key things like having fun like you know wanting to spend time together wanting to get up in the morning and go for a walk those simple life activities she wanted back and I wasn't giving them to her just looked over at the time and I realized I've been recording for 55 minutes and I, I thought this was going to be like a 20 minute talk, but this is obviously, yeah, it's obviously going a bit further. Um, but that night that I nearly committed suicide was, was, that was my point where we, we just drew a line in the sand. We said, fuck this. We're not doing this anymore. We're going to get better. And I started to take my own life back. So I started to, uh, I started to come off drugs. I started to take drugs less. And I actually got to a point where I actually was forced to go clean turkey. <laughs> um, so I wasn't taking tramadol at this point. I still had tramadol there. I still had oxazepam there. I was still taking oxazepam quite regularly, but wasn't taking tramadol as regularly anymore. I'd kind of pulled back off that, trying to just use Panadol, Nurofen, those types of things instead. Um, stretching exercises, breathing exercises, those types of things. However, still on my buprenorphine patches. And... So I managed to um, lose a patch, which isn't good. It's not a good thing at all because you can't get a patch if you lose one. Like it's, it's very, very hard. They're very, very controlled, the opioid patches, because they can be abused so easily. Uh, so if you lose a patch, you're in a lot of trouble. So the first rule you kind of get told when you start on these patches is do not lose a patch. And three years I'd gone without losing a patch and, and then finally I, I lost the patch. And, and so I called my doctor, who is an incredible, incredible person who I, I owe my life to him. He's just, you know, if you were listening to this, I won't say your name on the on on the podcast but he knows who he is if you listen to this i love you and and thank you for always being there for me and thank you for being such a good friend as well as being such a good doctor so i went to my doctor and i said to him mate i fucked up i lost a patch and he said that's not good for <laughs> starters but he said to me uh, i remember the words now i still remember oh it, it feels like it was yesterday 
he's, I remember him now. He said to me, if you can't go a week without opioids, you are never going to get off opioids. And a lot of people in the afterwards have said, that sounds really harsh. But to me, it wasn't harsh. It was true because we had such a good relationship. We had built such a rapport over the years that we, I knew we, he could be honest with me and I was always honest to him. And that's how, that's how I roll is, is, is just pure honesty. And he just laid it on me and just said, if you, if, if you cannot get off a drug, if you cannot go a week without drugs, you are never going to get off of drugs. You're never going to get off these opioids. You're going to be stuck on them for the rest of your life. And he goes, at the end of the week, if you are that fucked from not having drugs, we can just give you opioids. We'll give you more drugs. That's okay. You know, and it's okay if you don't make that. He goes, but he goes, let's use this as an opportunity to try and get you off of drugs. I said, this is brilliant. This is exactly what I need. And so I jumped up. I went, I went, had all this motivation. I went home. You know, first day I was, I was fine. Second day I was fine. So I just felt great. I felt this cloud had just lifted from my brain. It was incredible. I felt like I was, you know, had all this cognitive thought and cognitive behavior back. I could, it was just, it was, I felt like I was on top of the world. So I, I went into my room and I went to the drawer, opened up the drawer, my drug drawer. I grabbed every single fucking drug out of that bag. I put it in a, out of that drawer, put it in a bag and I took it downstairs and I threw it in the bin. And I said, I'm not going back ever again. And I literally went cold turkey off every drug. that uh, Apart from antidepressants. I stayed on antidepressants for, for a few months later uh, until, I, until I felt comfortable coming off those. However, that's a, that's a future story. However, for pain medication, anxiety medication, everything went in that bag and it fucking went in the bin. And I said, that's it. I said, I'm done. I'm not going back. Um, two days later... I was fortunately the fortunately for me the uh, the bin man had come within that two days, uh, but I got to got to four days without drugs and I started to crawl up the wall. Uh, I started to feel really sick. I started to my skin started to itch. My uh, legs were were restless all the time. Um, you know we we talk about going from having opioids going through your body twenty four seven to having nothing. It's a huge huge drum and it's actually not something i recommend people do so like if you're in a position now where you want to come off medication do a do a reduced amount like i i reduced my amount heavily before i actually went through this period and i still struggled don't just go cold turkey speak to a doctor and and work out a or go to a pain specialist and work out an actual plan where you can come off of those medications don't go don't just go cold turkey you know it was probably a stupid thing for me to do and i was lucky that i was on a lower dosage when i did it um, however, I did it and, uh, and so day four, really crook, day five, really crook, day six, even crooker, day seven, absolutely fucked. I couldn't sleep. I was laying in bed, um, punching my legs because I had wretched, literally, I shit you not, like punching my legs as hard as I could because I had restless legs. I had, it felt like my nerves were on fire all the time and they, they couldn't sit still and I, I couldn't get comfy no matter what I did. I'd pacing the room, punching my hand, punching the walls. My poor wife was just sitting there just saying, I don't know what to do, you know? And then she said, do you, know, do you want me to call your doctor? Do you want me to call the ambulance? And I said, no, because if you call them, they're going to give me drugs. And, and I didn't want to give in. And I just felt like I'd gone through so much since the day that I nearly took my own life that I wasn't going to go back. And there was this was that time in the sand where I said, if I get through this, I'm on the home run. I'm on the home straight. This is this is the mountain that I need to get over. 
And fortunately for me, uh, I didn't sleep at all that night, um, but that was the worst night. Uh, you know, day eight was bad, but it started to get better. Day nine, a little bit better. Day 10, a little bit better. And every day, that horrible feeling, that itching skins, you know, that the, the constant rest of the legs goes away. It started to go, it started to go um, until I felt normal again and I'd overcome that period. However, there were a lot of realities with life post-med or post-medications that I wasn't, uh, I guess I wasn't really prepared for. So when you take opioid medication, how tolerance actually happens, how you build a tolerance is is that you, the, the medication goes into your body and where the pain actually is centered um, around wherever it is in your body, for me in my lower back. And so it builds clusters, I guess, of pain receptors around those nerve endings. And so those pain receptors are what tells you that you're in pain. When you take opioids, they mask those pain receptors. That's what their, their job is to do, essentially. And so, so how tolerance actually occurs is that those pain receptors say, ah, well, I can't feel pain anymore, so I'm just going to give you more pain receptors. So the pain receptors start to grow. And they're like little cauliflower branches almost. They just start to, to grow and they start to spread. And then so all of a sudden, to mask the same amount of pain that you are in before, you need more opioids. And so you add more opioids in. And then the pain increases. The pain receptors increase. You add more opioids in. And then the pain receptors increase. And this is how tolerance happens. This is how addiction happens because you're continually adding in these drugs to overcome the pain. This is a really layman's term of it. I'm sure there's going to be some doctors out there that say, ah, left and right could be a little bit different. But yeah, this is a layman's term of how, how, it, how tolerance is actually built on pain medication. But so when you take those drugs away, you know, all those pain receptors are still there. So all of a sudden, you're in a shitload of fucking pain. Like for a, a good, uh, I think for a good two to three months, I was in a, a huge amount of pain every single day because all those pain receptors are there. So I actually need to work through retraining my brain that that pain actually didn't exist. It wasn't actually there. Well, it definitely was there, but it wasn't as bad as, as what my brain was making out to be. It was just that there was a lot of pain receptors there shouting, give me opioids, give me opioids. That's essentially what your brain is doing. Your brain is saying, okay, last time I gave you this amount of pain, you gave me opioids and I really like opioids. I'm addicted to opioids. So I'm going to give you pain so that you give me opioids and I get my fix, you get less pain. That's how this works. What I didn't realize is I, I knew this was coming. I knew I was going to be in a lot of pain. I, I get that. I was all cool with that. What I didn't realize is that not only does opioids block your pain receptors, they also block your hay fever receptors. And so I've never had hay fever in my life. Not until I came off of drugs. Never once. And so it works exactly the same way as your pain receptors. So when you take opioids, your body says, oh shit, I can't see my opioid receptors. So I can't see my hay fever receptors anymore. So I'm going to build my hay fever receptors so that you can still get hay fever if you, if you need to. And then because your pain receptors are building, you're taking, more, you're taking more opioids to cover those pain receptors. 
your hay fever receptors are building inadvertently because you're taking more opioids. So when you take those drugs away, not only do you get a shitload of pain, you get hay fever every fucking day. It is horrible. And to this day, I still sneeze. As soon as I start sneezing, I cannot stop sneezing unless I blow my nose. Like it, is, it is horrible. Like I feel sorry for people that have to go through hay fever review. I've never had this before. And mine's not linked to any season, anything. Mine is a weekly thing. Like uh, if I start sneezing, I'll start sneezing and sneezing and sneezing and sneezing. I just cannot stop. And my nose is just so blocked and it's just leaking everywhere. And it's just horrible. However, what this is now, so the reason that my body is still giving my hay fever right now is a form of withdrawal symptoms. So my brain sits there and says, okay, well, I'm going to give you hay fever in the hopes that you give me opioids because that's what I'd really want is opioids. And so now I still get hay fever on a weekly basis. It's just my brain's way of saying, hey, any chance you can sling me a couple of opioids? Um, And it's just something that I have to deal with now on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, is, is my brain still... Even 18 months now, 18 months post, uh, post medication, my brain is still there and it's still saying, I want opioids. That addiction is still there. So I guess, how did I get myself to the point where I could actually come off of medication? So as I said before, this is not something that I recommend anyone does unless they have a clear plan set in place with their doctor, psychiatrist, psychologist, whoever it is. Someone there, a pain specialist, whatever it is, someone there who can give you medical advice as to actually going through the process of coming off that medication. What you need to realize is that medication is just a tool. So all that is there to do is to help you get through something. So if it's pain medication, it's there to reduce your pain. If it's anxiety medication, like oxazepam, which was the drug I was taking, it's there to reduce your anxiety. That's what it's there to do. It's a tool to help you reduce whatever it is that you're going through, whatever discomfort it is that you're going through, you don't want to go through. You don't need medication to do that though. You can develop the same tools in your head and in your mind that help you deal with those things. So what I recommend people do if they do want to come off medication is you need to have a good plan around developing those tools. So what can those tools be? So for example, if you're having a panic attack, the first instinct is to take a pill. That's what everyone who is on these anxiety drugs, that's what their first instinct is because they know, their brain knows if they take the pill, it'll reduce, give them a calming effect and reduce the anxiety within their body. However, there are other things that you can do to be able to reduce that anxiety. There are things such as breathing techniques, things such as redirecting thoughts or distracting thoughts. There are things such activities that you can do such as uh, focus activities where you focus on things close to you then far from you and then you're picking out different things. There's a great activity where you where you use your senses to be actually be able to discern things around you. So you, you would listen to three things to do with your hearing, three things to do with your smell, three things to do with your sight and three things to do with your touch. There's meditation that you can use. You know, I'm huge on meditation. Yeah, this meditation is so beneficial. And there's also a thing called repetitive exposure, where you can go into a situation that would normally make you anxious and would normally make you feel uh, a heavy 
set of, um, or that would more than give you a panic attack. And you can spend time in that situation, just in small doses, just slowly increasing that time you're spending in that situation, little bits by little bits by little bits by little bits, until all of a sudden you don't have anxiety when you're in that situation anymore. That's called repetitive exposure. There's so many different tools that you can use. Medication is just one of them. So if you want to come off of medication, then you need to develop these other tools. You need to actually take the time to educate yourself, sit down, and actually develop these tools. You need to work with your psychologist, work with your psychiatrist, work with your doctor, work with anyone that will help you develop these tools. Fuck, reach out to me and I will help you develop these tools. If this is a path that you want to take, get in touch. Before we're talking about the realities of life post-medication. Well, here's a great reality for life post-medication for those of you that are on pain medication. The pain is no different. And that is a absolute fact. The pain that I was in when I was taking medication is no different now to when I'm not taking medication. And that's because I've now obviously developed the tools that I need to be able to deal with that pain, uh, like breathing exercises and those types of things. However, the pain levels are exactly the same. I'm still in pain all the time. I'm just not on medication anymore. There are studies that show that there's no benefit to being on opioid medication for anything longer than six months. Actually, there's actually a negative effect to being on opioid medication for longer than six months. It starts to have a negative effect on your brain. The side effects are huge. And it's the side effects that you need to understand. It's need to understand what is actually happening to your brain when you're taking these drugs. So at the beginning of the episode, I told you that I was going to give you some signs and symptoms about things that you should look for when you're taking these medications to give you, I guess, some warning signs about, hey, do I need to have a conversation with my doctor about these things? So some of the noticeable symptoms that you'll get is that you start to notice that you get mood response mood swings, really rapid mood swings that correspond to the availability or the absence of your prescription drugs. A lot of people will begin to self-medicate with alcohol. So maybe you'll increase the alcohol consumption that you're doing at the time. You start to begin to have cold flushes regardless of the environment that you're in. This is something I suffered from for years and years and it's just horrible when you're in a 40 degree weather and you're having a cold flush you know it's really shit you have things like i was talking about before being restless legs or involuntary leg kicking movements uh for me it really felt like my legs couldn't sit still uh i have an issue with rubbing my feet together and moving my legs anyway and 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 shaking my legs it's something that i do when i'm in an anxious um situation is i uh or in an anxiety-driven situation for me, I, I shake my leg, and that's something that I, a habit that I do, uh, which I haven't, to be honest, I haven't tried to, to change. I, I accept that, and it's actually a way for me now. I understand, hang on a second, I'm shaking my leg. Maybe I'm actually in an anxious situation, and so I can start to employ those other tools that I learned to be able to help me through that situation. A lot of people can get sharp bone and sharp muscle pains. Or you can also feel like if you touch your skin and run your hand over your skin, that you feel like a burning sensation or a pain just by just by running your hand over your skin. You can get a lot of vomiting. You can get a lot of diarrhea. All these things are 
signs and symptoms that you are, I guess, that you are becoming more tolerant, becoming more addicted to these types of medications. The serious symptoms, though, which I, fortunately I, I don't think I had any of these ones. Uh, however, these are some serious ones that if you're having these symptoms that I'm about to read out, you need to see a doctor straight away because these are these are serious signs that you're addicted to medication and you need to you need to do something about that so that could be crushing or breaking down pills because if you crush the pills and break them down then they have a they react faster within your within your bloodstream it could be stealing or borrowing prescription medications from family members friends or coworkers consuming prescriptions much faster than they're actually indicated so over overusing or overdosing yourself uh, doing the old doctor jump, which we see all the time in Australia, where you visit multiple doctors for similar conditions, um, hoping that they don't put you on a record so you can get multiple scripts within a quick period of time. Uh, having inconsistent uh, answers to questions about prescription usage. So why are you using that many drugs? Why are you using these drugs? Or even getting violent or getting aggressive when people do question that. Um, stealing or forging prescriptions. Or potentially you're starting to order prescription medications online. So you're starting to go through the black market side of things where you don't need a prescription for because you can access it online and uh, and to get it illegally sent to you. So these types of symptoms, if you have any of these types of serious symptoms, you need to speak to your doctors immediately. Or you need to go and seek further help from services such as Lifeline or Beyond Blue that do an, ex- an exceptional job at supporting people who are going through drug addiction. If you happen to be having some of the noticeable symptoms that I was speaking before, then potentially this is an opportunity for you to sit down and have a chat with your doctor, have a chat with your psychiatrist, have a chat with your psychologist, have a chat with your wife, whoever it is, and actually talk about a plan to say, hey, do you think I actually have a problem? And if I do, how can I start to move away from this? How can I start to move on? How can I get myself back to normal again? Because I can promise you, once you take that step, once you get yourself back to normal, life is incredible. It feels so free. I can't express to you how amazing it truly felt the day that I didn't have a clouded brain. I legitimately felt to myself, I didn't understand what was going on in my head because I'd lived with that for so long. It'd become a norm that my brain was just clouded constantly. And to have that freedom, to have that moment where I remember when it was, I was sitting next to my wife and I, I just turned to her crying and I said, I just feel clear. I feel like my brain is clear. It is an incredible feeling. So, enclosure here. Drug addiction can occur even if you aren't abusing those drugs. You don't need to be overdosing on things. You don't need to be taking over your prescribed amounts you don't need to be abusing them when you shouldn't be using them drug addiction can occur just by taking drugs within the amount that you are being given tolerance builds so quickly without you even realizing it it builds and it builds and it builds this is just something that you need to be aware of this is not an episode to say that drugs are bad because they aren't you know i needed the drugs when i was on them i really needed them 
because I didn't have the tools that I could use to deal with those issues. So I needed to have those drugs. But once I was able to build those tools, I was able to take those drugs out and take them out of my life and get my life back to normal. This episode is just an awareness. It's just an awareness to throw out there to say, hey, if you are on these types of medications and you're experiencing these types of things, if you have similar stories to me, then potentially this is an opportunity. This is the motivation that you need to actually reach out and change your life. Because I can tell you right now that life is no different. I still get pain every single day. I still get anxiety attacks. I still have anxious moments. I still have all the things that I was having before, except now I have a clear mind. I have a set of tools that I can use at any point of time that I can call upon and I can drag out of my bag and I can use that at any point of time when I'm feeling anxious, when I'm feeling in pain, I'm able to deal with that without having to take medication. And that is an empowering feeling. It is empowering because it means that I have my life back again. It means that I'm in control of what happens in my mind. I'm in control with what happens in my body. And that is what you should strive for. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. I legitimately thought that uh, this would be a super quick episode. Like, I didn't think I was going to get past 20 minutes, to be honest, 25 minutes worth of content. Um, I have like half a board worth of notes in front of me that I thought I could talk on. Uh, however, I'm looking up at my uh, at my computer on my laptop now, and we've just gone for an hour and 25 minutes worth of recording. So this won't be as long as that. However, it because uh, I'll be able to cut down a few things for editing and stuff, but it's probably going to be a little bit longer than 20 minutes, that's for sure. So thank you everyone for tuning in. Thank you so much for your support to the Blokecast. It is incredible. Uh, thank you to those who we gave legend shout out to today or legend of the week in the intro for your shout outs. If you want to be featured in the Blokecast, jump on iTunes, give us a rating, give us a review, and we could be reading your your review out on iTunes. Uh, on Let me try that one again. Jump onto iTunes, give us a rating, give us a review, and we could be reading your review out on the Blokecast in the coming weeks. So, legends, I love you all, men and women that support this podcast. You are all absolute fucking legends, and thank you so much for all the support you're giving me, and thank you so much for helping me grow this. Share this episode with anyone that you think may need it, and we'll catch you in the next episode. Cheers. Thank you.